you have trouble paying attention? Do you have trouble staying still? There are particular challenges as a college-age individual with ADHD. Welcome to Conversations with MIT Health. I'm Melanie Cole. My guest today is Dr. Xiaolu Shi. She's a clinical psychologist at MIT Health. Welcome to the show. Dr. Shi, can you please tell us a little bit about ADHD and what it is? Thank you very much for having me. Well, for starter, I want to say, uh, you'll see why I say this, it is a psychiatric disorder. It's recognized by DSM-5, which is our um, diagnostic and statistics manual. So it is a recognized psychiatric disorder, although it came a long way, and you can see why. It is a very complicated syndrome, very different from what people think, oh, if you're hyperactive, you have ADD. If you're not, you don't. Uh, that's the common misperception. Uh, it, like any other syndromes, it has all sorts of individual variations and garden varieties. The core symptoms are what you described already. People have trouble paying attention. People have trouble staying focused. What people don't always recognize, although they almost always report when they come with a question about ADHD, is what we call the executive function impairment. These are the troubles in getting started with the work, getting started and the buckle down. Uh, they commonly misunderstand this as, oh, I have motivation issue. I always say, no, you have initiation issue. You have trouble getting started. You have trouble regulating your behavior, goal-directed behavior, in other words. Um, they also have trouble with organization and planning. These are the messy folks, and they often do things in such a haphazard way. Um, at the core of this is what we call in our jargon as difficulties inhibiting inappropriate response. Now, inappropriate response here does not mean the urge to curse or the urge to rob a bank, as I explained to my patients. Uh, the inappropriate response meaning the action to, instead of staying on task, for instance, and they chase around things that are more interesting, they do other things. So they procrastinate, they get off track, or when writing, this is a very common report, that they have too much to put in the paper in a coherent way. Why? Because they cannot differentiate between what is only relevant and what is critically important. They have trouble saying no, in other words. So you can see the trouble uh, that can come with that. And the other common uh, report of problems is the problems with memory. It, actually, it's working memory, meaning that they, they don't have trouble remembering what they learned in, let's say, sixth grade in social studies or in math class in high school. What they have trouble with is they forgot where to put the keys uh, or they, they forgot what they asked you to do uh, as soon as they got off the phone and, or that they forget. They forgot uh, what they have just said in the conversation with somebody else have said in the conversation. I've met scientists who have published brilliantly, but often would not participate in discussion because they're afraid that they, uh, somebody else has said opinion or given a position already or given the statistics, and they're going to make themselves look foolish because they can't remember. So memory difficulties is what they often uh, report, and they forgot all sorts of things in life as well. So ADHD is what we call a neurodevelopmental disorder. What it means is it's not like depression or anxiety that you don't have an onset, uh, let's say at age 20 or 24 or 16 when you enter college, that there, there has to be a trail, even if it's not a paper trail. It goes all the way back to childhood. Now, it's very interesting with MIT uh, population is a lot of this kids would not have failed 
not only because they're smart, that they would easily really go through college, uh, no, go through college, go through high school and middle school and doing quite well, uh, but often when they are tardy with the homework or they're disorganized, usually teachers will not think much about it because they perform well. They're obviously smart. Um, so then how so, is it diagnosed? Um, it is not diagnosed by testing. That's another common perception because often when you need accommodations for testing, for instance, if you take SAT or you take GRE, you need extended time. Agencies like ETS were required to have testing. That's for the purpose to document the de- deficit. That's not for the purpose of diagnosis. It is diagnosed really by a very, very careful diagnostic interview that really goes all the way back to the time when you're in, in, in your mother's womb. We go all the way through the developmental history about the birth, about the milestones, and about when people started, you, when people started to notice uh, difficulties with sitting still and often children have trouble with following directions. And not because behaviorally they were oppositional, but simply they were having a hard time paying attention and follow simple directions, particularly if the directions uh, goes beyond one. You know, you turn to page three, you look at this figure, and please copy this down. The poor kid is already lost. Turn page three, they can do that. You copy this figure, they can do this. And then you do this. Often this is the kind of report you hear. Of course, you also have the classic hyperactive kid who is in trouble all the time, gets sent to the principal's office every other day. Now tell us a little bit about some of the treatments. And if somebody is diagnosed as a child, does it carry through into adulthood? Yes. Um, Except they carry carry into adulthood in different ways. For instance, the hyperactive type, really the kids who are very impulsive, who are bouncy off the wall type, they tend to, not always, a fair amount of them will tend to, quote-unquote, grow out of it or calm down. So behaviorally, they won't be as disruptive. However, the physical restless often continue. So they will either sit in your office, drumming their fingers, tapping their feet, and really having a hard time sitting still, or they feel such internal restlessness that really makes it very hard for them to stay seated for a long time. So you can imagine how hard it is to be in a classroom. The inattentive type, the dreamy, uh, the spacey, the absent-minded, um, the scattered type, that's the inattentive type. People mostly have trouble with attention or procrastinating or very disorganized, very messy, very forgetful. Those symptoms don't tend to budge much in adulthood. So you can also imagine how hard that would be for them to go through college, to come to college, or you know, sometimes go into a job after this completely on their own without the supervision or the support of adults or other people. And what are some of the treatments that can help people with this attentional situation to focus and have more attention for things? Okay. The uh, two tiers of symptoms that I often explain to people. Now, I want to make very clear, I'm a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, therefore I'm not one of those prescribers, as we term them, so I don't do medication. Um, what, of course, I do know what demon medication can help them. So let me put this out first. Um, there are two tiers of symptoms that's embedded in ADHD, inattentive type or hyperactive type, or more often than not, the combined type, because typically you have both. I've never met anybody who's only hyperactive who doesn't have attention problems. Medication can be very, very helpful 
to help people sort of, you know, become less uh, hyperactive, less impulsive, less reactive, and uh, and also they can get started to pay attention and stay focused longer. That is true, and often about 70% of the population will respond well to one type of stimulant medication, and about 30% who don't uh, tend to be the 70% respond well to another, the, the two main types. There are several other types as well. I'm not going to go into details about that. What it does not help, however, this is really important for both the patients and, frankly, the prescribers to know, is medication does not do much at all, if anything, to what I described earlier, the so-called executive function. So those are the ones how you approach your problem, how you solve your problem, how you plan, how you organize, how you inhibit those responses, sort of impulse control. Those are the skills. Those are higher level cognitive skills that you have to learn. It's like, put it simply, good habits. Work and so you learn habits. those with what behavioral cognitive therapy? Uh, you can you can do that in a in a cognitive behavioral therapy, but more likely, what really would be helpful is to work with somebody, regardless of the discipline, who are familiar with ADHD, because one of the one of the biggest hurdle to really overcome this is a lack of understanding what ADD is or isn't, or ADHD. I mean, I use the the common term as ADD. Because people often feel this is something you can control when it is not something they can control. However, they can be trained to pay attention to how they're doing things in an impulsive way without going through the head, so to speak, and learn to become mindful, learn to become attentive, and learn to have strategies to help them manage those. Well, so then speak about some of the particular challenges that students with ADHD face in managing their studies and campus life. Okay. First of all, like everybody else, when they come to college, mom and dad did not come with them. Uh, and just so laundry and the food, uh, they don't just show up on the table anymore. Uh, at MIT, this is a particular issue as well. We don't have dining halls in, in every single dorm. So the, all of a sudden, they have to manage their lives as much as their studies. Um, and also, nobody's getting them up in the morning to go to, uh, to catch a school bus. And if they miss classes and, you know, people don't know, a lot of classes are not particularly uh, attendance-based. So in that case, then it all, sort of all hell can break loose uh, without people catching up for a long time. So they have this adjustment task to college as well as everybody else. And on top of that, they're going to struggle that much because they're constantly distracted, they're disorganized, they're missing things, that they are missing things without even knowing about it. So they have an, this additional burden. The two additional things I see at MIT, I think it's really important to mention this, is there is a stigma against the ADHD. Now, we don't hold people, um, we don't hold it against the people if they're treated for type 1 diabetes. Uh, we don't necessarily hold it against people if they're treated for depression or anxiety. But often there is a stigma about how, oh, you know, this is just an easy way out. This is a stimulant medication, a performance enhancer. It benefits everybody. Incidentally, it does not. Empirically, we know that, but people don't. So there's a stigma about that as well. I see students all the time who as much as feel validated by having been diagnosed and treated and see the treatment results, they feel like, am I, you know, getting unfair advantage? That's number one. Number two... In college, and the particular place at MIT, I think one of the challenges is how much uh, they can do. 
these are bright students, very curious, very motivated. They're excited and they're the right place. They're among other peers who are just like them. For the first time, they have friends that are doing great things together. Uh, the sky's the limit. No, unfortunately, the sky's not the limit. I tell everybody, God did not give you 48 hours just because you come to MIT. So often there's this struggle between do I push the limits, do as much as I can, and you know, crash and burn at some point, or do I wrestle with the limit, meaning I respect it, I accept the limit, and trying to work with it. And this is something I see in students without ADHD as well. I think it's equally difficult and challenging. Sure, that ability to pace yourself and make it so that you do take things as they come. And in just the last few minutes, Dr. Shi, what treatments, options are available to MIT students with ADHD? Well, we have a lot. Um, I've often been told schools of our tier and our size, this includes some of the IVs, probably all of the IVs, I think, um, they tend to refer all the students with ADHD off campus for assessment or for medication or behavior treatment and counseling, so on and so forth. We actually treat them, at least so far to this point, on campus. We're able to diagnose them there. I have neuropsych consults specifically made available to my colleague, and all of our providers certainly are equipped and trained to make the diagnosis. And we have a large amount of, uh, large number of colleagues for prescribers that can prescribe. I would also provide um, both the consultation as well as uh, a therapy really geared towards this particular group, um, anywhere from helping them to understand the emotional implications as well as really the cognitive deficit, that they are quite real, that we go and discuss the, really the neurocognitive underpinning of the struggle, that this is not something because they're smart, because they're lazy and, and they're smart, but rather they're indeed there are cognitive deficits. And a cross between some of this cognitive behavior work, some of the uh, DPT work that really help them managing, because managing the negative feelings, emotions, that further impact your learning is something they struggle with as well. I run a group for graduate students. I run a skill and information skill group for graduate students with ADHD. I'm about to run a group for undergraduate students next term. So students can meet together with other people who have similar experience, and basically they share the experience, support, support each other, they gather information. They also, frankly, they trade um, tips in terms of how to manage them. So there's this community here that they can support each other. So we have we have the assessment, we have the medication, we also have the, the counseling, you know, in, some, in, in a way that includes coaching and therapy and the support. We also have the standard disability uh, office services that can provide accommodations and support and advocacy, and also skill training as well. So we, we, we really have a fair amount of support for students with ADHD and MIT. Wow, it's great information. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Shi. Listeners can visit health.mit.edu for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. That concludes this episode of Conversations with MIT Health. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other MIT Health podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for joining us today.